know we're not asking for anything special um just for nuclear to be valued for the carbon-free electricity that it provides the way that renewables are did you know that there are half a million metric tons of nuclear waste temporarily stored at hundreds of sites worldwide in the u.s alone one in three people live within 50 miles of a storage site no country has yet successfully disposed of commercial spent nuclear fuel but it's not for lack of a solution. So what's the delay? The answers are complex and controversial. In this series, we explore the nuclear waste issue with people representing various pieces of this complicated puzzle. We hope this podcast will give you a clearer picture of nuclear waste, the whole story. We believe that listening is an important element of a successful nuclear waste disposal program. A core company value is to seek and listen to different perspectives. Opinions expressed by the interviewers and their subjects are not necessarily representative of the company. If there's a topic discussed in the podcast that is unfamiliar to you, or you'd like to more closely review what was said, please see the show notes at deepisolation.com slash podcasts. Hello, I'm Carrie Hulak, Deep Isolation's Communication Manager. Today I'm talking to one of the founders of Good Energy Collective. The Good Energy Collective is a policy research organization that says it's building the progressive case for nuclear energy as an essential part of the broader climate change agenda. Jessica Lovering has a doctorate in engineer, engineering and public policy and has expertise in advanced nuclear technologies and nuclear innovation policy. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Great, great. So you recently co-founded the Good Energy Collective in August of 2020, so fairly recently. Yep. What led you to create a nuclear policy organization? Yeah, um, we were really motivated by this movement we were seeing around um, big climate legislation, um, particularly things like the Green New Deal, uh, and that they were coming from uh, a new source, really these young progressive climate groups, um, a lot of new groups popping up um, with a lot of energy and activism and just this feeling of momentum that that things were changing and um, you know they were getting politicians um, to start thinking more seriously about climate change uh, and we were really excited about that but um, we were noticing that nuclear was really missing from that conversation um, and we wanted to see you know why that was and 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 is there a way to get nuclear in there um and one of the challenges is that progressives have been historically not very supportive of nuclear but with these younger groups, um, you know, they don't have a lot of the the baggage and and perceptions or sort of um, bias against nuclear. So we saw an opening there, but it really needed to um, come from a group that had sort of genuine groundings in progressives. So, you know, personally, me and and my co-founder Susie and our um, our board chair Rachel Slaybaugh are, you know. Um, agree with progressive values and consider ourselves progressive. So we wanted to start a new organization that could really do sort of the, the research around policies that would actually get nuclear to align um, with this progressive climate agenda. So talk a little bit about your goals for what the organization could do um, 
kind of following up on what you just said on researching policies and, and finding solutions to move. Yeah, so we really want to see um, advanced nuclear in particular move forward, um, you know, get some some demonstrations and some commercial reactors built. Uh, and, and to do that, that's the goal. But to do that, uh, we really need to get nuclear integrated into this climate policy agenda. Um, so rather than have, you know, separate nuclear policies or nuclear legislation that's just supporting nuclear it really needs to be integrated to get that broader support um, for sort of these big investments. Um, and uh, we have all these exciting um, innovations in, in advanced nuclear, you know, over 60 companies in the U.S. working to commercialize designs. Uh, and there really is a lot of policy work that needs to be done um, answering questions around, you know, how they'll be built, how they'll be financed, what happened, where does the fuel come from, what happens with the waste. And so um, we wanted to start a new organization to kind of help flesh out that that policy agenda. Um, and then the other thing that that is unique about our organization is we're really focused on bringing in social science into nuclear policy. Um, you know, there's there's wonderful um, work being done on the technical side at Department of Energy. There's all this funding for R&D that's led to some amazing technological innovations, but we need a lot of innovations on the social science side about business models, the financing models, um, you know, how to get do community engagement in a different way, um, what can, um, you know, act, the literature studies that have been done tell us about risk perception and things like that. So um, we're coming at it from, from a few different angles, um, but that's sort of our main uh, drive. And what inspired you personally, Jessica, to be an advocate for nuclear energy? Do you count yourself among that younger progressive <laughs> age group that has a little less baggage around the anything with the word nuclear in it? Uh, yeah. All in that mix. Well, I, I, I can't really remember being anti-nuclear ever myself, but I definitely came from um, a more of a, I don't know, hippie environmental background. I was um, living in Colorado um, when I first got interested in nuclear. I was studying um, a master's degree in environmental studies and environmental policy. And, um, you know, I was really interested in renewables. I was you know, gardening and making my own yogurt and these sorts of things that just sort of go with that um, lifestyle. And um, I got interested in energy because of climate change and, and some classes around, you know, what it really takes to decarbonize. Um, and studying more on, on the energy side, um, I did this, this exercise in one class where we were all assigned a country and we had to make a plan of how they would fully decarbonize, um, or I think 80% uh, reduction in emissions by 2050. And um, I had Poland and it was so hard to do <laughs> because they have so much coal. And even if you do it with nuclear, it's still really hard. But if you do it with wind and solar, it's just crazy. And so that's what originally got me interested in nuclear. And then I spent the rest of my master's degree kind of, um, you know, doing term papers and assignments on nuclear wherever I could. Um, and then sort of built up that um, sort of, the, I was like the nuclear person um, in my program where everyone else was very renewables focused. So. Yeah, and then I got hired by the Breakthrough Institute um, to, to really flesh out their, their nuclear policy program. So advanced nuclear is described as more efficient, safer, more flexible um, in terms of how it's deployed. It looks way different than the nuclear that my generation grew up with. So what are you most excited about regarding this new technology? 
I think um, there's a lot of things wrapped up in there, but the, the thing I'm most excited about is factory fabrication um, and whether the whole reactor is factory fabricated or, you know, major components. Um, I think that's a big game changer in terms of cost. And there's a lot of reasons that advanced reactors are able to be more modularly produced than, than the past reactors. So for one, um, they tend to be much smaller in capacity, but also these advanced designs, you know, these different uh, coolants, these different fuels, allow the reactor to be much simpler from an engineering perspective. Um, you know, they don't have as many redundant safety systems. Um, they rely more on, on physics for their safety. Um, and that makes it easier to manufacture. Um, a, a commercial product. So um, I think that's the most exciting thing because for me or for what I see, the biggest obstacle for nuclear is really the cost and the time to build. So factory fabrication could really help with that. Right. So that was kind of going to be my next question is, you know, people claim that they're too expensive and too unproven to make a meaningful impact in the fight against climate change. So it sounds like from what you've described as your studies, you know, back in Colorado um, and what you see are you know, are the benefits of the technology, you feel like um, it could combat those concerns about it or, or kind of counterbalance the objections? Yeah, I mean, nuclear definitely is expensive, but it's also has provides a lot of value that's hard to get from other energy sources. And so it's just important to remember that, you know, solar started out like 300 times more expensive than it is today. Um, and it was good, smart policy. Um, an investment from the government that brought that cost down. And that's what's needed for nuclear. You know, we're not asking for anything special, um, just for nuclear to be valued for the carbon-free electricity that it provides the way that renewables are. And, um, you know, nuclear has a lot of unique challenges, but I don't think it's impossible to make it, um, you know, cheap and fast. Speak to some of those challenges a little bit more, um, whether, you know, in the U.S. or abroad, um, and, then, and then maybe what, what you're recommending to mitigate some of those. Yeah, so it's just hard to build big things, um, it, particularly in the U.S. and Western Europe, um, actually all of Europe. But um, so large construction projects, large infrastructure projects, um, you know, not just nuclear, but um, lots of different things uh, in the US are much more expensive than they are in other countries, take much longer, a lot more delays and, and going over budget. Um, and this is really seen um, quite dramatically in the recent nuclear builds, particularly the, the plant in Georgia and the one in South Carolina that was canceled. Um, and these plants are, are huge. Um, you know, they take a lot of um, bespoke components um, or at least these first ones are, are um, sort of first of a kind. So um, that's really challenging and also estimating costs for the first reactors. Um, you know, nuclear gets a lot of flack for always being more expensive. And um, it's not that the projects get more expensive. It's that we didn't have good projections of what they were going to cost at the start. Um, and so I think uh, for technologies that are much simpler, it might be um, a little easier to contain the costs. And also if you're doing more of the fabrication in a factory rather than on site um, and you remove a lot of the, the human element um, to that construction process, that could reduce costs a lot. Great, thank you. 
So you um, very briefly mentioned waste as a concern, and um, obviously that's one of our uh, focuses at our company. So, and many people oppose nuclear energy due to their fears about the waste because it hasn't been solved yet, hasn't been permanently disposed of yet. Um, and I understand one of your objectives is to see the U.S. update the Nuclear Waste Policy Act to reflect the need for multiple pathways for storage and spent fuel management and ultimate disposition. So could, could you share a little bit more about that? Something that I mentioned around, you know, we've had these a lot of innovation in reactors and um, we definitely need to see more innovation, you know, like what Deep Isolation is doing around the um, the waste, but also the whole fuel cycle, really. Um, and we're just starting to see that coming, but there needs to be more of a um, sort of uh, objective or, or mission from, from Department of Energy or from the nuclear industry of what they need. Um, but I think right now, since we don't, we don't have a solution for nuclear waste, we don't know what we're doing with it. Um, I think more options, the better, um, more diversity of options, not just thinking about, okay, we move these dry casts to a different place, um, but different ways that we can utilize spent fuel. Um, I think, you know, just for me personally, I think it's such a, a waste <laughs> that all that energy is still in there. Um, if there was um, a better way to use it, way to just recycle it, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges on, on reprocessing as well, but um, it seems to me like, you know, it would be so great if we could utilize it. That being said, of course, no matter what we do, even if advanced reactors, you know, use fuel more efficiently or use um, spent fuel in some capacity, we're still going to have something left over, um, even if it's a smaller amount, um, even if it's less um, long-lived or sh it's shorter lived. Um, so we still need a place to put it and we still need um, innovations around around how we place it and, and where we put it. Um, and that's really both a, a technical problem and a, um, a social problem, getting um, you know the social license to put waste in places. So it's a really thorny problem, um, but I think there needs to be sort of leadership on it. Um, and I'm kind of hopeful that we can maybe make progress in the next administration. So speaking of leadership, uh, the Good Energy Collective released a policy report, our progressive policy agenda for advanced nuclear energy. I took a look at that. Uh, can you summarize your goals for putting the report out and maybe share some of the recommendations that you're hopeful about or that are kind of close to your heart? Yeah, we um, we had a, it's a very broad agenda. Um, we have recommendations for, um, you know, the executive branch of the government, for Congress and for industry. Um, but it's really all towards uh, getting nuclear deployed as a means to help reduce emissions, um, but in a way that's very responsible um, and gets true um, social license from the communities that are hosting these facilities. Um, and so um, some of the, the early things we asked for, and, and some of them, you know, we've, we've seen little bits of, but um, establishing a climate office in the White House, sort of prioritizing climate from the executive branch. We've already seen really good, um, exciting stuff there. Um, on um, the legislative side, you know, we'd love to see a really big increase in funding for um, the Office of Nuclear Energy, and particularly for more um, sort of mission-oriented R&D, so bringing the cost down um, for nuclear is a big one. Um, but the, the big thing we want to see from, from Congress and from bills is this thing I mentioned earlier of integrating nuclear into climate bills. Um, so we've had a lot of 
really exciting legislation passed in the last five years around advanced nuclear, but it's been very nuclear specific. Um, so seeing a broader climate package, um, maybe with some, some compromises between renewables and nuclear and efficiency and electric vehicles and all that going into um, one thing, I think would be really powerful. Um, for the social license side, um, you know, that's that's tricky, but we'd love to see some some funding from the government to do pilot programs on um, more community focused um, uh, processes for siting these advanced reactors. So more so more investment going into, you know, not just, okay, how do we fund the construction of the first demonstrations, but how do we fund um, genuine engagement process early with these potential host communities to really get them um, to buy into the project to be really supportive. Um, some of the things that we've asked um, uh, of the nuclear industry are really to, to work with, with climate groups and try to build bridges. Um, you know, don't don't be harping on renewables. Talk more about how nuclear can work with renewables um, to decarbonize and just be supportive of renewable policies. You can see that in sort of how the industry, you know, releases press statements on potential legislation. It's a, it's a small thing, but it can make a big difference in sort of showing that like we're all in this together. Um, and also, you know, the thing um, policy-wise, um, Nuclear has a lot of legacy issues, um, you know, from the weapons complex, um, from uranium mining, and, um, you know, sometimes there's this feeling of like, well, that was, you know, a long time ago, that was weapons, that was, you know, not having to do with civilian nuclear industry, but I think from the, um, whether it comes from um, Department of Energy or from legislation, we would really love to see um, accelerated cleanup of a lot of these sites, more investment in mitigation of harms um, from these legacy sites, um, more consideration of, of where uranium is mined. There's a, you know, a push right now to get more domestic uranium production, um, but we have to be very careful about how that's done. Um, and so more of a sort of acknowledgement of these um, injustices of the past, but actual policy to help um, alleviate them faster and, and accelerate those, those um, uh, cleanups and, and other sort of remediation. So just recently, the US Department of Energy announced 30 million in funding for one of its new advanced reactor demonstration programs. And it's, I guess it's expected to contribute more than 600 million in the coming years. Um, what are your reactions to this? And, and what do you think it means? <laughs> Um, I'm really excited about it, particularly the diversity of projects they've been funding. It's not just, okay, we're all going all in on this one design. Um, they're really trying to build out this um, kind of diverse ecosystem of potential um, reactors and, you know, there's very different designs. So um, I think that's, that's what I'm excited about. Um, it's going to probably take, you know, more money to get these actually demonstrated, but um, it definitely signals to the private sector um, that this is an exciting space um, that's moving forward. And so hopefully this will bring in a lot more private investment to get some of these projects built. 
So finally, looking forward, I know you gave a keynote speech for the American Nuclear Society titled What's in Store for Nuclear in a Biden Administration? And here we are with one. So uh, could you give some examples of how changes um, made by the new administration might impact advanced nuclear reactor companies and, and the landscape in general that you've been working on with your Good Energy Collective? Yeah, so so we've seen some really positive signs in what the Biden campaign had been pushing around their um, their climate plan, um, and uh, now seeing you know what the the um, transition and and what President Elect Biden has done um, since he was elected uh, is also really promising. So um, just some of the things that he's done already are, um, you know, appoint people to high level positions in the White House that are focused on climate. Um, those were some of the first announcements that were made. So that's really signaling where his priorities were going to be. Now, obviously, there's this um, big crisis of coronavirus and the economic um, downturn that's been associated with that. But he's really tying recovery to climate in a um, very, you know, novel way of saying, you know, we can do a green recovery, build back better. Um, so I think there's going to be some sort of push to have, um, you know, uh, stimulus or recovery that's tied to environmental goals. And that's, that's really exciting. Um, you know, there's a lot of jobs in nuclear, so that could be something very promising um, in, in some sort of package. But on his, um, his climate plan side, there's a couple really positive things. So one is that, um, you know, right when Biden um, won the primary, um, you know, the his main competitor in the end was Bernie Sanders, um, who's who's quite anti-nuclear historically. But um, they Biden and Sanders did this series of unity task forces to kind of bridge the different factions within the Democratic Party. And their recommendations on climate change were really interesting because they actually mentioned advanced nuclear several times. Um, and just to have something with, you know, Sanders, AOC's name on it that talks about needing advanced nuclear is very exciting. Um, and they have some in Biden's um, climate plan. Uh, he has some language around SMRs um, and specific things like he wants to make a, an ARPA for climate, so an ARPA-C. Um, and one of the first suggestions that he has for what that could do would be a program to reduce the cost of SMRs by 50%. Um, so that's like a very clear, you know, target um, that, you know, has really been lacking in sort of the federal government's um, response or um, policy on nuclear um, so far. So those are some very positive hints that um, not just that Biden is taking climate seriously, but that he understands that it's really about um, building things, uh, you know, building a lot of renewables, building a lot of nuclear, building a lot of transmission lines. Um, and so that that focus on, on infrastructure and um, jobs with respect to climate, I think is really positive um, and is gonna get a lot broader of a coalition to come together around potential legislation. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and best of luck to you with your work. Thank you. Have a great day.